0: Amen, and be finding your way in God's word to Revelation chapter 3. I want to, before we get into the message this morning, I just want to acknowledge something real quick. This is, uh, Shelby has brought with her Levi this morning, and it's his first time in the worship service with us today, so we're so thankful that God has given new life, and uh, we're so thankful that God still, uh causes people to be born on this world and this planet, souls that one day, hopefully, we know uh, in faith, trust in faith, that Levi will put his faith in Jesus, and uh, we're so thankful that God has sent him to be with us. And then also, I want to mention something else to you that uh, you may have not noticed in your um, in, an, in announcements or anywhere, um, but next Sunday is going to be a very special Sunday, We'll be finishing up our Church Up series, and we'll look at the church in Laodicea, but our Hispanic congregation will be joining us in that service, and so we're going to have a joint service, and we're going to have some uh, Hispanic music, uh, too, that we have Hispanic uh, words to music, and uh, this is going to be a wonderful time, so I, I hope that you all come and be here, welcome the members of our Hispanic church, and we'll just be Worshiping the Lord, just like we've done this morning. We'll do that together. Man, I'll tell you what about that song, Gratitude. You, you can't hear that song and not just be humbled. And know that your king is here. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of Israel. That he, he dwells upon the praises of Israel. His people. So when we come together and we praise him together, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he descends upon the place. And so he's here today, he's here with us. If you've not experienced his presence this morning, you're not here with us. (laughs) Your your mind, your heart, somewhere else. But we want you to be centered and focused on the word of God now as we look into the word. And so we look at the words of Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Philadelphia, picking up in verse 7. And I just want to start by noticing the character of Christ that is enumerated here when we look at verses 7-7. Uh, Look just at verse 7 with me for just a moment. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. He's called the Holy One. Isaiah calls him the Holy One of Israel. You know what the word holy means? It means set apart. It means above and beyond God dwells in unapproachable light. He is so far from us and his ways are so higher than us, so much higher than us. What would ever make us think that we could reach him on our own? It cannot happen. And then he was called the true one. And we understand that what was happening in the church was that there was a lot of liars who had taken up residence in that church and they needed to hear the truth. They needed to hear the word of God. And this is why Jesus speaks so clearly to this church about who they are and to whom they belong. And so he is the holy one. He is the true one. And then he says that he holds the key of David. In Isaiah chapter 22, 22, this is a, a clear reference to that. It talks about this, this guy named Eliakim. And he was appointed to be the royal guard of Jerusalem. And his job was to lock those gates. And then he had the keys to the city of Jerusalem. He had the keys to the holy city. And no one came in and no one went out unless Eliakim and decided they were coming in or coming out. And this is, a depiction, this is a depiction of who Jesus is. Jesus has the key to heaven. And no one goes in and no one goes out unless Jesus says so. He has absolute and total authority. Now we're going to unpack that in this message here for just a few minutes. But I want you to stand with me and we'll read the remainder of the the passage. Okay? So in verse 8. The words of the Spirit to the church of Philadelphia. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven And my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Father, we are so humbled and thankful to be in your presence. Lord, we thank you that you have met with us this morning. And now, as we meet your word, we pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly to our hearts. We would have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive your word, and then hands and feet to obey. Lord, make us a witness for You in a world that needs to know You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. may be seated. This church at Philadelphia, the Lord Jesus says, I've put before you an open door. It's a church with an opportunity. And this church with the opportunity is a lot like us today. We are a church with an opportunity. The question is, Will we, like Philadelphia, be a ready church? Ready to seize the opportunity, not allowing it to pass us by, but ready at a moment's notice to share the good news, to share the hope that we have within us. That's what the Lord Jesus wants this church to do, and He wants you and me to do. And so first we see the commendation. we have the PowerPoint? Okay, there it is. I was scared for a moment, Miss Sue, whenever I saw a blank screen (laughs) that it wasn't there because I want you to be able to follow along there. Verses 7 through 8, again, he says in verse 8, I know your works. This was not only a loving church, and we know that Philadelphia is, uh, that city was comprised of two Greek words. The word phileo, which is the Greek word for love, brotherly affection, love. and, And then uh, adelphos is the word for brother. So brotherly love, a brotherly affection. But not only was the church a loving and caring church, but from the description that we see that Jesus speaks about the church, uh, it was a church with the right purpose and a church with a vision in mind. And that vision was to carry the gospel out into the world in word and deed. Now, this was what they had intended to do. This is what they desired to do. And so I want us to see this biblical truth this morning. The church is in the world so that the world may be in heaven. And whenever I say the world, what I mean is the people in the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so why has God planted the church in the world? You know, we can worship God in heaven, amen? We can glorify God in heaven, in fact, heaven would be a, is going to be a much better place to glorify God than here. Why would God put the church on the earth and leave us here for however long you live, however long from the time of your conversion, your, your salvation, to the time that He takes you home? Why does He put you here? What's your purpose? The reason that you are alive on this earth as a Christian, if you already know Christ, the reason that you're still here is so that you can lead the world to Jesus. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the reason that you're alive today and the reason that you're here today, some of you may not have even wanted to come to church. You just got drug here or you just walked in. The reason why you're here, the reason why you're listening to this message, is so that you can put your faith in Jesus. And then glorify God by living for Him and being a witness to Jesus. And so this is the truth. And that was the truth for the church of Philadelphia. And they understood that. And so Jesus, because they understand their purpose. They understand why they're here. And they're keeping their faith in Him. And they're living out their faith. And they're patiently enduring trials. Jesus says, I have set before you an open door. A door of opportunity. Now, Jesus himself is the door. He says in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So doors let people in. Amen. Doors let people in. Whenever we got here this morning, I believe it was Brother Norman. I think I saw him. I saw Brother Neil this morning, too. They go and they unlock the doors of the church. Why do they do that? So that you can come in. Well, that's what the Lord Jesus has done in heaven. Whenever Jesus died on the cross and He went down into the grave, He came back up victorious and He took with Him His blood and He offered it as an offering and He unlocked the door of heaven. None of us are allowed into heaven because of anything good that we do. It is not by human effort. It is not by your being good. It is because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And His blood that was shed on the cross. That any of us are able to go to heaven. That's it. It's nothing that you've done. No self-righteousness. No token of morality will open the gates of heaven for you. It is only by throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. The righteous king who died for you. And asking him for entrance into that city. So doors let people in. But notice that Jesus says, he doesn't just say, I am the door, come through me. Jesus says he sets the door in front of the church. Now that's really significant and you need to pay attention to this. Because he sets that door right in front of the church. That church has already entered the door. They believe in Jesus. They know Him and they know the way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. They know. Why is He putting the door in front of the church? He's put the door in front of the church so that the world may come in through the door. And He's saying, listen, you're the church that's ready. Therefore, I will give you a great opportunity to reach the world outside your door. And so what does he call the church to do? Go out. Go out and bring them in. Go out and bring them in. Now some, you know, we know doors, they let people in. But doors also shut people out, don't they? And if the Lord gives us the opportunity, it's up to us. We can either let them in or shut them out. And how you live and what you say makes all the difference as a believer in Christ. We should never, ever be guilty of shutting people out that the Lord is calling to come in. No matter who they are. Jesus said, woe to you who put stumbling blocks in front of other people. Woe to you. They're not like us. They don't dress right. They've got too many... Tattoos or piercings, or their lifestyle's not like mine, or whatever it might be. Their skin color's not the same as mine. Woe to you who would put a stumbling block from someone trying to come in to the door. Only Jesus has the authority to allow someone into heaven. Jesus has the keys. He says, I'm going to open the door and no one's going to shut that door. The door's going to stay open, he said. <laughs> and now, what he's saying to some people is, if you want to keep people out, guess what? You can go out. That's what Jesus would say to someone who wants to keep people out. You can go out because the door's going to stay open. Jesus is saying, I'm never going to shut the door. And so it's about evangelism. Now he goes on to say the next thing about them. He says, I I know your words. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I think about that and I I think about whenever I was working down on the Gulf Coast and I was inspecting cows in Mississippi over there uh, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And... I would go to houses, gates, uh, and, and inside the gates, a little dog, yip, 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 And he's running around, and yip, 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 and, and I go to the gate, and I open up the gate, and he takes off running, and he just stands there under the porch, or somewhere on the porch, and he, yip, 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 at me. And I remember this one day, particularly, one of those little feisty little dogs, yip, yip, yep. And I said, yeah, he, he's, he's fine, he's not going to hurt me, or anything like that, and and uh, so I went through the gate, and he runs up under the porch, and he's up under the porch, yap, yep, 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 at me. And uh, then the owner comes to the door and opens the door. And then, right, coming through the door is this big old, whatever, 50, 60 pound Rottwaller. You know, he, like he's got so many muscles, he can't walk straight. I mean, he just has to waddle. And guess what the little, feisty little dog did? It shot out from under that porch. It took off and it came went, <coughs> bit my leg. Got bit hold of my, I mean, that dog, just as soon as the big dog came on the porch, that little dog took off after me. And, and what Jesus says to the church is, I know you're just little. I, I know you're just a little church. And I know, I know that you don't have much power. I mean, the church in Philadelphia was not of great number. Not like the church in Antioch. Or the church of even Ephesus. They weren't financially strong like some of the other churches. God doesn't need money to do anything. I believe, I'm going to say this so clear to, to, to us as a church. I want everybody to be listening to this. God doesn't need money to do anything. Get over that, if you had not gotten over it yet. hope you have. He doesn't need money. What does he need? He needs willing people, you and me. So the church wasn't a great, of great number. It wasn't financially strong. Notice Jesus turned the world upside down with 12 men. That's all he needed. He didn't even need them. He could have done it himself, but he chose them. And not financially strong, but they weren't politically powerful either. They weren't a church of great influence. In fact, it seems that the Jews had much more authority and power politically in that region than they did. And they were the ones stirring it up. So they were fighting against the machine. But what did they have? Romans 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, they had the power. They, they, were, they were little, but they had a big God behind them. I want to tell you, God can do more with less. Because it causes a person to become dependent upon Him. He doesn't, he, he doesn't need your money he doesn't need your great singing voice, even though we've got some really good singing voices in here. He doesn't need your, your political influence. He doesn't need any of those things. What does he need? He needs your heart, he needs your willingness. He needs you to be ready for him to use you. And I've, I've thought about this. G- Jesus will use us when we are good and ready. Now that, that's a play on words. Because He will use us when we're good and ready. And He'll use us when we're good and ready. If you're not willing, He'll just move past from you to the next person. And use the next person. But He can do with you what you never thought possible. When you bring yourself and you lay yourself at his feet. I want to tell you this, too, because we're talking about that opportunity to to reach the lost world on the other side of that door. There is no such thing as the gift of evangelism. I want you to get that there. The Bible never mentions the gift of evangelism. There are those who are called to be full time evangelists and God calls evangelists to go out into the world. But there's no gift of evangelism. There is the command to evangelize, to go out into the world and make disciples of all the world. There's a command. And so he says to the church, he knows that they have kept his word and have not denied his name. Guess what they're doing? They're talking about Jesus everywhere they go. You want to ignite your spiritual life, your worship? Go and share Jesus with someone today. Talk about Jesus. When you go to the restaurant this afternoon, and I know many of you will, you're already thinking about it. When will this sermon be over so I can get to the to Sonny's? Okay. When you go, tell your waitress, we just came out of church. I just got out of church. I love Jesus with all my heart. I want you to know He loves you. And I'd love to pray for you. What can I pray for you about? That's so simple. Start talking about Jesus. Keep His word. Don't deny His name. You know how we deny the name of Jesus more than any other way? You know how we do that today? We just don't talk about it. We just don't say His name. We're so embarrassed, we won't talk about Him. And guess what? He's put the open door of opportunity right in front of this church. You know what? It's not illegal here in the United States of America, here in Myrtle Grove on the west side of Pensacola. It is not illegal to talk about Jesus. We have an open door. If you won't talk about Him, it's the same as if you just shut the door on someone else coming to know Him. Now, Jesus is going to send someone else. I promise you, he will. But you'll miss that blessing. D.L. Moody says the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him by God's help, he said. I aim to be that man. Aim to be that man. Aim to be that woman. Paul talks about the readiness and Peter does as well. Paul in Ephesians 6 verse 15, he says it's shoes for your feet. This is just, just As soon as you get up in the morning and you tie on your laces, you ought to be thinking about sharing Jesus with somebody else is what Paul is saying. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Are you ready, church? First Peter 2.9, Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may... Why, why would God choose us as a church? Why would he plant us here in Myrtle Grove? Why would he do that? Why? So that we could proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light." First Peter uh, 3, verse 15, later on, Peter says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Jesus chooses to use us when we're good and ready. And so you see the commendation. I want to see, secondly, though, a consolation. And I'm, I spent a lot of time on the first point. I'm going to wrap it up real quickly you all ready? Listen fast. Uh, verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. I love that because Jesus wants to tell this church, I love you. And he wants to tell our church, I love you. But he wants us to understand that that love doesn't just stop at you. It extends to the rest of the world, that he loves the world. And he gave his one and only son for the world. And so the the consolation there is that God's love is going to go with us and protect us as we go out. And he's sending them out and knowing that there are those against them. When you go out, you're going out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You're going out into a world that hates you and that is hostile toward the message that you have in your heart that you share. But there are some who will hear and believe. And he talks about that synagogue of Satan. He said... They they were supposedly Jews, God's chosen people, but they had denied the Messiah. And and evidently, they were persecuting the church and had kicked out some of these people out of the synagogues. They had probably excommunicated them and they thought that they were right with the Lord, but they weren't. They were enticed by the devil. And they were sent by the devil. All, All the way back in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, the church was already having trouble with these people. And here Jesus calls them the synagogue of Satan. They're motivated by the devil and they've infiltrated the church. Jesus promised the church that Satan and his people one day would come and bow down. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You do not have to be afraid of whatever the devil can do. Jesus said, don't be afraid of him who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can destroy body and soul in hell? Who is that? Not the devil. The devil's going to hell. <laughs> it's the Lord Jesus. So we don't have to be afraid of the devil. You'll never fully realize the power of God at work in your life and, and the power behind your witness, your testimony. When you're afraid of the devil, you've got to quit being scared of him and you've got to go out. You should be watchful. Watchful, but never fearful of Satan. Let me tell you what's going to happen one day with Satan and all of his hordes. They're all going to come and bow down and they're going to bow their knees and they're going to make the good confession. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and where and under the earth. Who, do, who does that include? It includes Satan and his demons. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, who are they, to whom are they bowing? Well, here in the book of Revelation, we see that the devil's bowing down to the church. <laughs> wow. The accuser of the brethren who's been thrown down. He's bowing down to the church. Now he's bowing down before God too. But he knows that Jesus is is Lord. and And the devil's always known that. But now for once in his life, the devil tells the truth. And to whom does he tell it? He tells it to the church. And he acknowledges to the church. Yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what he's been doing for all of these years? For millennia? He's been lying. And denying that Jesus is Lord. And one day, he's going to tell the truth. And then Jesus goes on to say that he's loved the church. He's never going to quit loving the church. And then he says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. The Lord Jesus promised not that the church would be exempt from the hour of trial, but that he would keep them in that hour of trial. And we could go into a lot about that. Whether you're pre-trib or post-trib or whatever, it doesn't matter. What's the point? Jesus is going to take care of his church. He's going to care for his church. And Jesus has already promised this. He's already said this in Matthew 16, 18. And I I tell you, he said to Peter... He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And then he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nothing is going to tear that church down. And So, sometimes it may seem like the devil has won a victory in your life, but I promise you, he's not. He's calling you and me that if we're going to be a ready church, if you're going to be a ready person today, even today, to share a bold witness for Jesus, you've got to rise up like you've already won the victory. You can't bow down to Satan by allowing him to shut you up and tell you to quit talking about Jesus. You've got to be bold about it. And so you see the consolation. I want to tell you thirdly, there is a coming king. The king is coming. Now listen to what he says next. Just, just a few simple words. He goes on to say, The hour of trial is coming... And then verse 11, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Amen. Hey, you can clap for that because I'm glad. And I know that if he wrote those words two th- almost 2,000 years ago, and, and listen, I, I promise you, soon doesn't mean a million years to Jesus or else he would have never used that word. I know some people say, well, Peter says that a day is like a 1,000 years and a year is like a 1,000. I understand that. And what Peter's saying is, be patient. <laughs> but the word soon has meaning. And Jesus would have never used a word like soon if it didn't mean something. And what it means is, you better be ready because he absolutely is coming soon. He's coming probably sooner than anybody in this place thinks. He's probably coming sooner than we believe he is. My grandmother's door was never locked during the day. I miss my grandmother so much. One of the things I miss about my grandmother is I could go to her house. We lived down the street from where my grandmother lived. I could walk down to her house, walk up on the front porch, turn the knob, open the door, walk in, and never say a word, never announce myself. She was going to be there waiting. No matter what, she was there. And the door was always unlocked and I could go in. And she would say, are you hungry? (laughs) And then she'd fix me something if I wanted something to eat. But at 10 o'clock, on the dot, my grandfather, just before the evening news, just before the 10 o'clock news, he'd get up out of his chair and he'd go lock the doors. And that was it. No one went in or out after that. That was it. That was the last opportunity. Today there's an opportunity. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2 Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. I mean, some of us, we've been waiting on God to do something in order for us to get busy. And I'm telling you, you got to quit waiting and get busy because now is the favorable time. Jesus has already done enough. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And He's alive today. What are you waiting on? Now is the day salvation. Get ready. Stop playing. I think about when my dad would leave for the day and he'd say, I want you to get the grass cut before I get home. And he'd go to work. And I'd sit in my pajamas and eat my Lucky Charms and watch Ninja Turtles on the television. We had three channels back then. So he had to... (laughs) Tune into the cartoons and sit and watch it. 10 o'clock roll by. Eh. Well, i want to watch the next show, whatever it was back then, Tailspin. I watch that. Then, new time will come. Well, it's time to eat. Time to eat lunch. Eat my lunch after lunch. Well, it's too hot to go out there right now. I just ate. And before I knew it, I could hear my dad's truck turning the corner down the street. And I hadn't cut a blade of grass. I'll tell you what, that only happened a couple of times before I figured it out. That I, I better do what my dad said. God wants the church to be ready with the return of Christ. And he says, I'm coming he tells the church in Philadelphia, it so that gives, that gives two, thing, two things happen whenever Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Number one, it comforts us because we know He's coming. And when we said He's coming soon, you clapped because you're ready. You want Him to come back. And I want Him to come back because I want us to, to do what we're doing today in heaven. Amen. That's going to be a great day. But the second thing it does is it says, get busy. It comforts us, but it also lights a fire under us. Because we've only got a little bit of time. Jesus said to work. He said we've got to work while it's daylight because night is coming when no one can work. And so he's telling us to do the works of the Lord today. Right now, today. Fourthly, I want you to see the crown. Because there's a reward for the ones who will... Be those soul winners at the door saying, come in and see Jesus. There is reward for that work. That's the greatest work that you can be doing here on this earth for the Lord Jesus is bringing people to Him. And what a travesty, what a tragedy it will be for a believer to live live their whole life and never bring one person to Jesus. There is nothing more tragic than that. The only thing that I can think of that's more tragic than that is the one who will not believe. And who will spend eternity away from His presence. But for the ones who do. Who work for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Sharing in the work. Serving. A crown. In ancient days it was a twisted wreath. To be wound together and placed on the head of the victor. And what it makes me think about whenever I see that word. Stephanos, crown. As I think about the crown, that evil men twisted together, not a victor's crown, but a loser's crown, and they pressed that crown of thorns upon my Savior's head, and I realize that my Savior, He wore the loser's crown so that one day I can wear the victor's crown in heaven for sharing my faith in Him. But I won't wear it long. Revelation 2.10, it's a crown of life. And in 2 Timothy 4.8, it's a crown of righteousness. And I will, along with those 24 elders, Revelation 4 fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, O Lord, and God to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. I'm going to take that crown and I'm going to lay it at the feet of Jesus and I'm going to say He was worthy. If I had a thousand lives to live, He was worthy of every one. And if I had a million opportunities to speak his name, then he was worthy. And so he says he'll give us a crown, and then he says he'll make us a pillar. Look again with me in what it says. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Philadelphia was known for seismic activity. We've seen devastating earthquakes over in that part of the world. So Philadelphia was known for that back in the first century. And because of it, many of the buildings had crumbled. And there were just pillars sticking up. And so the pillar was strong and it lasted. There's going to be... Listen, the Bible tells you, go on and read the book of Revelation, you read Matthew 24, 25, you read some of these passages, you realize it's going to get worse before it gets better. And God's going God's to carry us through these times, but I'm telling you, the church is going to be shaken and sifted. The one who conquers will be like that pillar. Remain standing. I mean, after a tornado, I remember... Seen after a tornado, there was nothing standing of a building out in the, in the delta except for just a fireplace. You ever seen that? And you and I, by the word of our testimony, guess what we're doing? By the word of our testimony, we are conquering the enemy. And even if he tries to shake you and break you, he can't do it. Because you're a pillar in the temple of your God. And the Old Testament reference this pertinent here is when God set up the temple in the first place. He put two pillars up. And what that did was it represented the people of God and how they would be established forever. He, called, he named the pillars of the temple. And he named one of them Yakin or Jakin. And uh, what it means, the name means is Yahweh will establish him. That's what the name means. And then the other was Boaz and it simply means pillar. And what those two names coming together is that, listen, if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus will establish you as a pillar. And you will be in heaven forever. No one will ever kick you out. You can't be kicked out because once you're in, you can never be kicked out. And so when you come in the door, it's like <clears throat> I heard the story of a little boy that um, he was a uh, Acting up, and his mother was just exasperated. And she finally said to him, Charlie, how do you ever think you're going to get to heaven acting like that? And he says, Well, I think what I'll do is, um, whenever I get there, I'll just keep running in and out. And finally, St. Peter's going to say, Charlie, for heaven's sakes, in or out? And I'll say, I'm in. Once you get in, you'll never be cast out. The thing is, we got to let them in. we got to go get them and bring them in. In light of eternity, it won't matter what skin color you are. Where you went to school, your pedigree, your education, clothes you wear, the car you drive, the house you live in is temporary. None of those things will ever matter in eternity. They're all temporal. The only thing that will matter are the lives changed for the glory of God by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question will be, did you leverage all of those resources, your time, your talents, your treasures, for the gospel? The Lord's putting a choice before you today. For you and me. He's asking which side will you be on? The winning side, the losing side? If you don't know the Lord Jesus, what He has done for you today is He's put the door right in front of your face. He's turned the key, twisted the knob, and flung that door open wide. And He says, come in. And all that's left for you to do is to repent of your sin and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. And now I'm turning to you and I'm going to come through that door. I believe that you died for me. And I believe you're alive. And if you'll do that, He'll save you today. He'll give you eternity. it will be yours. Everything that's on the other side of that door now belongs to you. And all you have to do is walk through that door. And I want to offer you the opportunity to do that. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. And hear before the Lord just you and him, no one else. This is your opportunity to step through that door. With all your heart, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong. And I failed to do what I know is right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you were the one who lived a sinless life and you died in my place. And Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Make me a new person. Lord Jesus, right now I'm stepping through that door. Thank you for my salvation. Now I'll spend the rest of my life loving You, serving You, and telling everyone about You. In Your holy name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Now if you've prayed that prayer this morning, the Lord Jesus has heard you. He's answered your prayer. He's given you everything. He's given you a home in heaven. And now He calls you now to be bold about that witness. And to share that. And so this is your opportunity for you to come and share with other brothers and sisters in Christ what Jesus has done for you. We want to love you and encourage you and offer you resources. Offer you believers' baptism. Allow you to become part of the family of faith here. If, if you're a believer and you love the Lord Jesus, but you've never joined this church, but you know Jesus is calling you to be a part of His church here at Myrtle Grove, then you come. This is your invitation as well. You join the family of faith today. Make a bold witness for Jesus. If you simply need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray with you. Or if you need to pray right there in your seat, you just take this time. This is your invitation as well. Let us sing together.